Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason here, alongside today with just Ben Mandel. Just the two of us here breaking down the AL Central. But before we get to the AL Central, we have some injuries happening in the league and happening to my favorite team. Hate when that happens. Nobody goes through more adversity in baseball than the Yankees. Nobody. I don't know if I agree with that one, Corey, but all right, we'll let you ride with it. An indisputable fact that no team goes through more troubles than the Yankees. The 2010s Mets, that early to the 2008 to 2013 Mets will strongly disagree with you there, Corey. Yeah, well, they can disagree all they want. We got Carlos Rodon has a mild forearm strain. He's going to be shut down from throwing for about seven to 10 days. He's going to start the season on the IL, but they're hoping he can be back in mid to late April. And that just sucks. The Yankees rotation going into this year was going to be a good one. Sucks to lose your number two starter. Plus, who knows what's going on with Harrison Bader? Oblique discomfort, unknown timetable. Yeah, I mean, look, with Bader, it feels like Bader always has something going on. And that really seems to be the case with a lot of players that rely on their legs. And Bader's the center fielder who does so. Uh, Rodon... I'm not too concerned because really they said he's just shut down from throwing for 10 days. It seems precautionary, although I do have to bring up because I know Dylan uh, over for the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. I know we'll have him on here uh, sometimes throughout the season as well. You know, he, he brought up to me, he, he immediately texted me and asked me, he said, how concerned are you about Rodon? Because he... No, he's like, look, Severino ended up needing Tommy John when it started with forearm tightness. Again, there's a reason why they're just shutting him down for 10 days and then reevaluating. I'm not too concerned with it at this point. I think if you have to survive the first few weeks of the season without him, so be it. It's more important to have him healthy for the stretch run. And a perfect example of that is look at how the Mets went about their business last year when Jacob deGrom did not pitch an inning until August. You know, it's that's one of those things where, you know, if the team is good enough around them to survive, you take your time. And the bottom line is the Yankees are a good enough team. Their lineup is good enough to overcompensate. And the rest of that pitching rotation, the pitching staff, should be enough to survive until they get their big free agent acquisition and Rodon back. But the bottom line is you still have Garrett Cole, who's heading up the rotation, and that's what matters. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Rodon. Rodon even said that if this was September, October, he wouldn't even think twice about pitching. But that he he also said that he's here to pitch in October, not until July. So in case this is something a little more serious, we get it out of the way now. He's still going to have to ramp himself back up, but I'm not worried. He's here for the long haul. He's shown the last few years that he can stay healthy and at a high level consistently. Bader also, I'm not too worried. This could end up being nothing. But if he has to miss some time, better early than late. Now, Lou Trevino, Yankees uh, reliever that they got from Oakland, he's got an elbow ligament sprain, and they're saying he'll be back sometime maybe in May. But the Yankees have historically been really deep in the bullpen, so losing him for that time is really going to be uh, nothing noteworthy. He, they should be able to get past that and – get him back in whenever he's ready pretty easily. I I do agree with you there, but at the same time, I think they ended up suffering too many injuries to the bullpen towards the end of the season last year. Again, though, you said it best. It's early still. It's better to happen now than later. Let these guys work through some of the kinks now and get healthy and get ready to go. Really, if you can be healthy by Memorial Day, then that's a win. Yeah, 100%. And last year's also had to deal with, you know, Guys getting burnt out really quickly. You saw a guy like Clay Holmes just, he was used so much early on in the year that he was just wiped coming down the stretch. But a really scary injury happened in the Red Sox game. Justin Turner got hit in the face with the pitch, just blood dripping everywhere. It was really just pouring out of his face. I, you know, this took me back to like Giancarlo Stanton when he was with the Marlins, you know, pretty much breaking his cheek. But Turner... Doesn't seem like it's going to be anything that serious, although it looks scary. He's hopeful he'll be back for opening day. I don't know if it'll 
get that far. You know, he probably bruised his orbital socket around the eye. Nothing's really been released definitively about what happened, but they're hoping he's back for opening day. But somebody at his age in the you know upper 30s, you want to be more careful with that. Yeah, it's definitely a very, very scary thing to see happen and something that you hate to see happen. Now, thankfully, you know, he's okay and he's talking about being back and ready for opening day. And if he is, that would be fantastic. Again, though, this is a Boston Red Sox team that there's a reason why Justin Turner is, has a chance to play for them. And it's because they're 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 pretty thin and they have quite a bit that they need to take care of as well before they can truly think about competing so while the biggest thing to look at there is really just seeing that justin turner is okay and that um you know he will be okay and able to play this season you know it wasn't a serious injury he was able to avoid that it appears right now so that's what's good but in terms of this having any impact on the team's success i don't really think so i think boston's going to be bad either way now, going on, we had the WBC, the World Baseball Classic, starting up. We had the first game was Netherlands versus Cuba, and the Netherlands took that one 4-2. to two. Following that up, Panama-Taiwan, 12-5 Panama. Australia, 8. Korea, 7. The Netherlands, 3. Panama, 1. Japan, 8. China, 1. Otani played in that game. He went two for four with two walks and two RBIs, DHing for Japan. Now, also, yet Italy, Cuba, where Italy, they won six to three in a pretty shocking victory. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, I mean, you want to talk about a Mets fan watching the Italy Cuba game? That is, that was just such a pleasant surprise because I'll tell you what, as a Mets fan, if I'm going to see Matt Harvey succeed, I would like to see it on the World Baseball Classic stage and not, you know, necessarily against my team or something that could hurt the Mets, um, which seems to happen whenever someone leaves our team. But, you know, Matt Harvey, he's had such an such a just collapse and fall off the face of the earth career after his unbelievable run uh, in the postseason, in the regular season in 2015, after starting the All-Star game and I believe it was 2013, and then ended up needing Tommy John, sat out the rest of 13, and the entirety of 14. He ends up with thoracic outlet syndrome the year after, 15 and 16, and he has to you know, have some ribs removed, which also means you have to relearn how to throw the baseball. So... You know, really after the thoracic outlet syndrome and having that rib removed, that's when Matt Harvey kind of fell off. But to then go and see him throw three shutout innings on the national international stage really was just awesome. This is a guy who didn't even see major league time last year, but he did throw a 3.72 ERA in the Orioles minor leagues. But, you know, for Harvey, he, his fastball was able to top out around 90 through three scoreless innings. And while he didn't get a strikeout, he was able to get six ground ball outs, and that really could be huge for them because if he's able to get ground balls, that means he's also going to be able to get guys off base as well with some double plays. Really, really happy to see Matt Harvey, and really my biggest surprise of the WBC so far. Yeah, Harvey's stat line, three innings, two hits, one walk, no strikeouts, no runs. That's the big one. And he threw 40 pitches in that outing. Just a really nice surprise outing from somebody who has gone through a lot over the last few years. To me, the biggest surprise so far in the WBC has been Cuba. Cuba's 0-2 in their two games. They lost to the Netherlands in the opening game. They lost to Italy. And I'm just shocked because Cuba's been home to so many great ball players. And this is the first year in the WBC that Cuba actually has active baseball players, active MLB players. On their roster, you got Yoan Mancada, you got Luis Robert. Heck, you even got Yoannis Cespedes. I know, I know that's a blast from the past for some Met fans there. He's out there playing. So I'm just really surprised at how Cuba's faring in this tournament so far. Yeah, it's very surprising, especially because when you think of, you know, that region of the globe where you have uh, Cuba, 
you have Puerto Rico not too far away, the Dominican Republic. This is where some of the best baseball players in the entire world come from. Now, I think with Cuba, this is the first time that these major league players are able to play. I think there's a little bit of excitement and there might be some really big internal expectations for them that maybe they're just cracking a little bit under the pressure from now losing your first two games in this it's not the end of the world but it definitely doesn't look good for cuba they already have uh tough enough have it tough enough with uh who is in their pool so certainly uh something to look out for with cuba and uh, that pool in general. I don't think Italy is that good, and I don't think the Netherlands are that good. So that's really why this is such a big surprise, because those are two games that Cuba probably should have won. Yeah, and now it looks like the Netherlands might actually get to move on to the next round. The Netherlands are 2-0, and best record in their pool. Obviously, you have a team like Japan who should be steamrolling everybody. But you, the top two teams in each pool get to move on. So that's going to be really interesting to see who's going to go along with Japan because I don't think anybody would be – I think everybody would be shocked if Japan didn't make it to the next round. But now today's uh, piece de resistance, the thing that we're going to dissect over and over, in and out, up and down, front and back, the American League Central Division. Last year, I want to say they are probably the worst division in baseball – not really any team that stood out. I mean, you had the Guardians winning their division, winning a playoff matchup against the Rays, but they weren't a team anybody took too seriously, and they ended up losing in the ALDS to the Yankees in five games. But last year, the Guardians won 92 games. They were 92-70 and winning their division. They're followed up by the White Sox, who went 81-81. and So only one team over 500 in that division in 2022. Following the White Sox in third place, you had the Twins at 78 and 84. Then the Tigers in fourth, 66 and 96. And the Royals, 65 and 97. Those two teams had two of the worst records in all of baseball last year. So there's really nowhere else to go but up. At least that's what I think. It's... It's interesting, right? Because you think, okay, well, when you have two of the worst teams in baseball in a division, you would think that the top three teams can capitalize off of that because that means you literally just need to go 500 outside of your division. If you can capitalize off of previously, it would have been 19 games against the Tigers and 19 more games against the Royals. This division did not do that. And I think that was the White Sox biggest Achilles heel. I don't think anyone would argue and try to say that the Guardians on paper were a better team last year than the White Sox because they weren't. The White Sox underachieved. There's a reason why I think Tony LaRusso was like, look, I am done. And, I mean, for the White Sox perspective, I mean, they're just overflowing with talent. The Guardians, on the other hand, have a terrific coach, one of the best in the game, I think, in Terry Francona. And they have some really good pitching and their pitching coach and their pitching staff every between their pitching coaches as well as their pitchers and their bullpen really just was fantastic. They always had a good game plan and they always found a way to play up to the game. They played up to the competition and you can't forget that the Guardians not only, you know, won that series against the Rays, a series that people did not think that they would win, but they also went in and pushed the Yankees to five games and had a 2-1 series lead. And a lot of people thought that there was a good chance the Yankees get knocked off in Cleveland there. Now, I know, Corey, you could say there was never a doubt in your mind, but anytime you fall down 2-1, to one, it is dangerous, especially when you think of the Yankees' history that these players have had throughout the postseason. Yeah, there is no doubt that I'm willing to admit, Ben. Fair enough. But, you know, looking at the rest of the division, I do think I have to think the White Sox are going to be better. I have to think the Twins are going to be better. I don't think the Royals are close. Uh, they have a talented uh, prospect in Wet Jr., but outside of that, it really just it doesn't seem like the Royals have much cooking for them right now. And they're one of those small markets that just isn't going to go spend money. So really for the Royals, it comes down to 
Are they going to be able to develop the prospects? That takes time. It doesn't appear to be this year. The rest of the division, though, I think the Tigers will be more competitive. I think the Twins and Guardians are better this year um, talent-wise, but I think the Guardians may take a step back in terms of the standings just because I expect more from the Twins and White Sox. Yeah, I expect more out of a lot of these teams too. But let's start it off. Let's break down the reigning division champions, the Cleveland Guardians. They have a exceptionally strong rotation. Ben, starting it off, you got Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plesak. That's a really good one through five. To me, the big the biggest question mark there is can McKenzie take that next step forward? We saw him take a good step last year. He was a really solid pitcher. But can he get to that next level where he's really just a 1A, 1B, I should say, to Bieber's 1A? Now their lineup, catching for them, Mike Zunino, they're going to have a uh, platoon at first base, Josh Naylor and free agent signing Josh Bell. Second base, Andres Jimenez, shortstop Ahmed Rosario, couple ex-Mets. Third base, third base, J-Ram, Jose Ramirez, just perennial MVP candidate. Left field, Stephen Kwan. Center field, Miles Straw. Right field, Oscar Gonzalez. Ben, what do you make of the Guardians? Can they replicate last year, or are they due for a little regression? I certainly don't think they're due for regression. I think if there is regression, it comes from other teams in the division just being better. I think that's part of the reason why Cleveland was able to win the division was because they were the team that took advantage, not just of the Royals and Tigers' lack of success, but of the Twins and White Sox not being able to really put it together either. The White Sox literally just played 500 baseball the entire season. It was They were the definition of a 500 baseball team. Now, you look at this lineup for the, for the uh, Guardians, and... I mean, outside of their outfield, what's there to not like? I mean, I think obviously Zanino is is solid. You get what you get out of catcher, but that is a perfect platoon at first base. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys is just the DH, to be honest, because those are two guys you don't want to take out of the lineup, especially in Naylor. He's really, really good, I believe, against right-handed pitching. And, you know, you got Josh Bell, who's a switch hitter. He is definitely going to be in the lineup and playing first base every day just because he has a strong glove over there. You know, uh, the middle infield, Rosario and Jimenez. I mean, he, obviously there wasn't as much talk about the Lindor trade last year because of how good Lindor was for the Mets. But, I mean, you take a look at Cleveland, they are not upset about that trade whatsoever because Jimenez and Rosario combined have been better than what they were getting out of Lindor. Now, Lindor was what the Mets needed. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that the Mets shouldn't have made that trade. I still, to this day, will I will die for Lindor. I love the guy. I know it's not necessarily the opinion of everybody, including Mets fans, but I love Lindor. I have zero issues with it. But Rosario and Jimenez can play. I said this in 2020 when Jimenez broke out. I know it was just the 60-game season, but the guy's dripping with tools. He's got soft hands great glove and he is fast and can hit the ball and while he is a lefty he is not only able to hit against right handers he can hit both lefties and righties which is huge you've got perennial mvp candidate and jose ramirez there at third base their infield is loaded with talent Quan can play i'm pretty sure he's the leadoff hitter he gets on base like it's nobody's business i mean and miles straw he plays a strong center field I think really left and or center and right field are the two spots that they can improve on, but certainly a team that is good enough to win this division once again. Yeah, I agree. They're certainly good enough to win this division again. A lot of things, though, will still need to break their way. The rotation is very good, but outside of Bieber, again, you don't have anybody that is that next caliber great starter. To me, McKenzie can be that guy but he needs to step it up. Then afterwards, Quantrill, Savali, and uh, Plesak. To me, those are just four or fives on other teams, but they have upside to be better. Now, I think catcher and first base for them is going to be a big weakness. You know, Zunino is good, but he's whatever. 
He's going to be a decent offensive option back there. But I think this rotation and some of these young guys, they need a better defensive pitch framing catcher. Not somebody who's really just back there to hit, you know, 25 home runs in the season if he can stay healthy. Naylor, Bell, two guys that are, again, good pop, mediocre defense. Uh, Naylor's a little better than Josh Bell defensively. But nobody really special. I'm sure they'll also split a lot of time DHing. You said uh, all we really need to know about Jimenez and Rosario, and they've really taken their game next level with Cleveland, and that's looking like a good trade for both sides. To be honest, Jose Ramirez, I said earlier, perennial MVP candidate. He's a top five uh, player in the American League, possibly even top five in all of Major League Baseball. Just an amazing player all around. Stephen Kwan's a guy that I really like. And he went through a stretch last year. I don't know if you remember this, Ben, where he didn't miss a swinging strike. I think, like, wasn't it to start the season? To start the season, he didn't miss like a single swinging strike for like two months, it seemed. He to was, the, I know he was the last person in the league to not have a swing and miss, which is unbelievable. Yeah, Kwan it, can play. He can play and he can hit. And he can get on base and do all these different things to really just drive you crazy. And that's really what this Cleveland team was last year. They weren't the big boppers that you see all around the league. These were the uh, death by a thousand paper cuts. They got you in every which way. They hit singles, doubles, stole bases, great base running, ran on you, turn, you know, a single into, uh, you know, a double if you were lazy out there. Runners went, you know, First to third, second to home, first to home, a ball's in the gap. And they did everything to be pesky, and that's how they got as far as they did. Well, and what does that scream, though? Good that's coaching. Great coaching. You had a Hall of Famer in Tito back there. Yeah, Terry Francona is one of the best, and there's a reason why he's hung around as long as he has. And, I mean, how often do you see a team like Cleveland go into the World Series uh, in 2016, they lose it after having a 3-1 series lead. Granted, that Cubs team was unbelievably good. They arguably would have won it the year before if they hadn't run into the buzzsaw that was the Mets pitching staff that year. I mean, the Cubs were in uh, – that was in the midst of their unbelievable run when they just were the loaded team in the league. They were the Dodgers before the Dodgers were the Dodgers, and it was all homegrown talent, which made it – that much better right they were all prospects that they acquired and built their team up with and for this guardians team it's similar to that i mean rosario and jimenez yes they came from the mets and they have been playing with the mets but they weren't established major leaguers rosario did things did start to kind of click for him his last like year and a half the final half of 2019 and the that uh shortened season in 2020 i know in 2020 he didn't play as much because the mets were really high on andres jimenez as well he really kind of broke out and louis rojas who was the manager at the time loved jimenez but you know i think you're not giving the pitching staff as much credit as i would like to i think their pitching staff is a lot stronger than a lot of teams and the reason for that is because I am confident that all five of those guys can go out there and win me a game. And you can't say that for a lot of these teams. And I think, again, it is important to look at the division here. And while I expect more out of these other teams, I think this is still one of the weaker divisions. I think the AL and NL Central are both the two, the two weakest divisions in this sport. So for... Cleveland's sake they don't have to be perfect to win this division again yeah maybe I should kind of change my tune a little bit I didn't mean to say that the uh, rotation wasn't good I think it's an easily top 10 rotation just because you have an ace a really good number two in McKenzie I think McKenzie does take that step by the way this year I I really like McKenzie I agree. I love Tristan McKenzie this year, but that's something I need to see before I put him into that next stratosphere of player. He needs to take that next step up, whether it be bulking up on the innings, playing, staying longer in games. He's already got the strikeouts down, maybe work on the control more, but he's a phenomenal pitcher and I expect him to take that leap, but I'm not as high on the uh, 
the the uh, Savalis, the Quantro, the sacks of the world. But I still think overall this is a phenomenal rotation, top ten material. But a team that doesn't have that type of luxury, Ben, the Tigers, the Tigers mm-hmm. from Detroit, possibly have one of the worst rotations I've ever seen in baseball. And what's funny is they're not full of nobodies. They have five guys whose names you've heard one way or, or another. You got Eduardo Rodriguez, Matthew Boyd, Michael Lorenzen, the Otani before Otani, Matt Manning, and Spencer Turnbull. Those are five guys whose names you've heard here and there and throughout the throughout the league. The issue is none of them are that good at pitching. Yeah, I I, I mean, I don't understand how this is what you decide to go into your season with, right? Like, how is that what you decide? Now, I think it, it's time to give some of these young guys a shot as well. Let Tariq Skubal go out there and just throw. Eduardo Rodriguez, I think he's, he's, eh, you know, he's, he's mid, right? Like he, he can, if Eduardo Rodriguez is your number four or five, your rotation is okay, but he can't be a top end guy. And that's what they're really going to need from him. I think they need a guy like Scooble to go and eat innings this year. They need Matthew Boyd to go out there and eat innings this year. I mean, like Michael Lorenzen, I don't understand why he is someone that you even think about having as one of your pitchers going in. And the biggest issue, I think, isn't even going to be the starting rotation. Have you even looked at their bullpen? It is horrendous. And I just – they're – the Tigers might find themselves at the bottom of the league again this year, but at the same time, maybe their offense will be good enough to cover for their pitching. Maybe they get a couple of good games here and there, but like offensively speaking, this team has talented players like Austin Meadows, Akil Badu. I like a lot. Um, you know, Jonathan Scope can play. Uh, Javi Baez is Javi Baez. Spencer Torkelson, you know, like these are the these are talented players in Detroit on the offensive side of things and the position player side of things. But really, just I don't know. Like, do the two guys they brought in from Philly and Nick Maton and Matt Veerling make some things happen? I don't know. Like, it's just, I, it's painful to watch some of these rebuilds because it just feels like sometimes there isn't even any effort to put together a winning team. And that's what it looks like looking at Detroit. Yeah. This rebuild's not going well for them. They also, also, they also have the worst rated farm system by Keith Law out of every MLB team. But just to note, Scooble and uh, Mize, they're both out. Mize is out until September, they're saying. So I know I know Scooble's got the injury. So Mize is out until September, and Scooble's just starting up his throwing, throwing program. They're saying he could be back sometime in June. But this is what they're running at to start the season. Plus, you don't know if there's any setbacks or anything, so you don't really want to count them in just yet. We saw last year with the Mets, DeGrom was ready, DeGrom was ready, DeGrom was ready, DeGrom's not ready, and it kept getting pushed back. So it's a lot of things to be concerned about. The lineup they're kind of trotting out there, their positions, Eric Haas catching, Spencer Torkelson, first base, Jonathan Scope, second base, Javi Baez, short, Nick Maton at third, Akil Badu in left, Riley Green, center, Austin Meadows in right. I'm really excited to see Riley Green and Spencer Torkelson take that next step up. Ben, I don't know about you, but I think they can be superstars in the league, especially Riley Green if things break their way. Yeah, I think it's funny. I think especially Spencer Torkelson. I think Torkelson is a guy who I'm most excited about. Um, and really, it's it's the hype machine. I think I I really bought into the Torkelson hype. But, you know, this is a guy who can hit for power, and I think he's going to hit for pretty good average as well while he's doing it. I think, you know, yeah, there are potential superstars coming, but like outside of signing Javi Baez last year, last offseason, it just, again, it doesn't feel like 
the Tigers have done enough to even try to tell these young guys that, hey, we're trying to win baseball games. Yeah, and I just got, I got one more question for you before we move on to the next team. What is Miggy? What do we expect out of Miguel Cabrera, the future Hall of Famer? What is he now? M- Miggy's a DH. That's what he is at this point. You know, I don't even know if he's someone who plays in DHs every day. You got to see how it goes. I'm surprised he didn't retire, to be honest. But, you know, well, it, again, we'll have to see. He, I think, you know, he still has something to offer. And who knows? Maybe he has an Albert Pujols type season. Yeah, that's interesting. You bring up an Albert Pujols type season. I think you kind of hit that on the nose, though, Miggy. Is he somebody that even plays in DHs every game? I think that DH spot all around the league is super important. And you need to keep that open just for health, just to get guys there at bats in. But I, I think he'll end up DHing probably somewhere in the 80s, 90s, maybe even the 100 games. They're going to get him out there a lot. He's a fan favorite. And I'm sure we're going to hear soon if this is officially be his final season. I don't know if he's announced that yet, but I'm sure it's got to be on the top of his and everybody else's mind that he's kind of done and he should be well on his way to Cooperstown. Yeah, I agree. And I think the big thing also to look at with this Tigers team is there is zero expectation to win games. I mean, they do not care. Miggy can go and have his swan song here. Next up was probably the most disappointing team in the division last year. You got the Minnesota Twins. And I don't know if they're going to be any better this year than last year. I don't know about you, Ben, but I'm not a big fan of their starting rotation. Sonny Gray. I, I like I like a couple of the moves they made. I like, I like a couple good, of them. Some good moves. But overall, Sonny Gray, Pablo Lopez, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda, and Joe Ryan – to me, Joe Ryan's the best of the bunch. I'm really high on him. Everybody else is a mid-rotation arm. I disagree. I think Pablo Lopez, I'm interested to see what he can do outside of Miami because that I've seen that guy up, up front and very, very much uh, a bunch of times. Oddly enough, I feel like I see the Marlins play every time I go see another team, uh, another team's ballpark, and it always felt like Pablo Lopez was pitching. And let me tell you, I feel like the Marlins are undefeated when I'm in the building. And Pablo Lopez was a big reason for that. That guy can pitch. Oh, for sure. He's the best of the rest to me. And they gave up Luis Arias for him. And Luis Arias was the batting title winner last year. I was very surprised by that. Very surprised. He was a big part of that team. He uh, prevented Judge from getting the triple crown. He was a good player, and they shipped him off to Miami for Pablo Lopez, who the Yankees were in talks for. Glad that didn't go through. But I I just don't think Lopez has it in him to take that ace-level next step. To me, he's just a two, and that's as far as his ceiling is. He's a two with a floor of a three, four borderline. He'll pitch well, but I don't know if he's going to be anything too special. I really like Joe Ryan and his stuff. Kenta Maeda, he was good, but, I mean, he's older he's now. He's mid. He's mid, but kind of on the back end of mid. Tyler Molly's whatever. And then Sonny Gray, perfect team for him. He can't handle any big, you know, bright lights, big fans, lots of pressure. He can't do it. So the Twins is a really good spot for him, but I also – I think he's on the back legs of his career. He's going to start faltering even more than he has, but he's a decent two, good three. The rotation's good, not great, but I'm excited to see what a guy like Joe Ryan can do. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to look at with the Twins actually isn't their pitching. I think the pitching, you know, it's going to be what it is, and – you know, I think Jorge Lopez was a big one to bring in for the back end of the bullpen there. Um, he's he's definitely shined uh, when he, he showed that last year in the front half of the season with Baltimore. I think Dennis Santana is, is solid. Um, you know, uh, you also have the likes of uh, Johan Duran, 
who's okay. Jorge Alcala is is a solid arm. You know, they have they have some arms here that can definitely, you know, make things happen for them. I think the bigger question mark is now with, a, you know, you have Arias gone. What, where is your offense coming from? I mean, you have Carlos Correa back, which I get, I mean, thankfully for their sake, their infield, look at their other infielders. I mean, you have Kyle Farmer. Uh, Edward Julian, uh, Jose Miranda, Jorge Polanco, Donovan Solano. I mean, Donovan Solano, I mean, I feel like he's been around forever and he's a platoon. But, you know, I mean, they have a, a, a glut of outfielders. I mean, Nick Gordon can play shortstop as well. Byron Buxton is a good player. What are you getting out of Joey Gallo? I guess you got to hope the no shift helps him. Max Kepler's okay. Maybe Eric, Alex Kirilov can turn into something special. But, I, I mean, I think the lineup is where the biggest question marks are. And I don't know if sacrificing a rise for the likes of Lopez was really worth it in that department just because they didn't really bring in a bat to replace him. Instead, they just brought Correa back. Yeah, you're for sure that the uh, the lineup is a big question mark for that team. Catching for them, you got Christian Vasquez. They've been playing Alex Karoloff at first base a lot more, but really almost everybody on their roster has gotten reps at first base. It's a big spot for them where they don't know what they're going to do. Seems to me that Karoloff is going to be the guy there for the most part. Then you got Jorge Polanco, second base, Carlos Correa at short, Jose Miranda at third, Gallo in left, Byron Buxton in center, and Max Kepler in right. I Going into every season, I put a small futures bet on Byron Buxton to win the MVP because to me, he is the most underrated, most talented player in baseball. Just in both leagues, he is, he's got the talent of Trout. He just can't stay healthy and keep it together. So he's Mike Trout. Mike Trout without the, uh, was it that uh, Mike, Mike Trout did stay healthy for the front end of yes. his career? I'll give him that. But Buxton's you know, I, I agree. I love Buxton. I think Buxton's a spectacular player. I I actually, you know, I feel like the prime days of me really getting into and watching baseball nonstop was uh when the twins outfield consisted of Eddie Rosario and Byron Buxton. Those two were quite a duo. Yeah, that was a fun outfield there. I'm just I'm waiting on the day that Buxton puts it all together. But can he it, stay healthy? It, ben, ben, and that's the that's the one that is the question for Buxton, really, because it's not even about can he do it? Like he's put it together, he's done it. It's just can he stay on the field? And I mean, if he can stay on the field, the guy is a shoe-in, in my opinion, to be a finalist for MVP. And I think this twins team looks a lot better than they did last year. And just to touch on the last aspect of this team, this is Carlos Correa's third team of the offseason. Does him, you know, wanting to leave, go to another place, and then coming back all while the Twins had an offer to him on the table, does that leave any bad blood between everybody? And does that leg injury that all the other teams were worried about finally come back and bite him? I don't know about all that. I think it is really telling considering the one team that would know Carlos Correa's medicals the best and the most would be Minnesota. So I'm really not concerned about the leg. I know my team is uh, the second team that decided to back out on him. Uh, I really think that was actually more Steve Cohen actually realizing that he didn't want to make that financial investment at all. I think that was the most important thing there. I think he went on his own and agreed to that deal to get Correa without consulting anybody else. And I think the rest of management may not have not been happy with him, but I think they told him, Hey, we don't really want to make this move. I mean, you, you, I understand Correa makes the Mets better at the moment, but you all, you got to realize they have future pieces there. They have Eduardo Escobar who's not that bad and Brett Beatty coming up the pipeline. So do you really want to make that kind of investment when you don't have to? I think that's more or less what kind of happened there. I don't think the leg is as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. At the same time, I don't think that uh, the team is going to be 
angry with him for, you know, agreeing to sign with two other teams because those other teams were offering him more money when he agreed to it. The twins didn't offer him those that big of a contract. The twins, I think the players are going to be happy that he did ultimately decide to come back because the bottom line is Correa still could have worked out a revised deal with the Mets. The Mets were offering a revised deal and it just wasn't going to be worth it for him money-wise because of the parameters the Mets wanted to put into the contract. It was basically forcing Correa and Boris to walk away from the table. I think the Twins players are going to be happy he's back. I think that's all water under the bridge and everybody here understands it is a business and that Correa Correa was trying to get the payday that was not only going to help him out, but give his family generational wealth, something that they haven't had. So you can't fault the guy for that. Um, I think the Twins definitely, the players, I think the organization are definitely just happy to have him back. Well said. I couldn't couldn't have said it better myself. I don't think there's going to be any bad blood between him and the Twins, but that is something that you had to kind of note just because he was with them left twice basically in the span of an offseason. You had to kind of get that out there. It's not going to mean anything going into the year, and he's set for life in Minnesota. But you know what team's not set? The White Sox. Ben, I don't know about you, but I just don't understand what's going on with them. They got a decent rotation, a couple guys I really like. You got Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Mike Clevenger, Michael Kopech, plus their lineup is very – very solid in parts. In other parts, it's cobbled together with, you know, duct tape and glue. You got Yasmani Grandal catching, Andrew Vaughn at first. Elvis Andrews is their second baseman right now going into opening day. Tim Anderson at short. Yoan Moncada at third. Andrew Benintendi, who signed that really weird seven-year deal in left. Luis Robert in center. Oscar Collis, the rookie in right. I just don't know what to make of them. I just feel like last year left a really sour taste in everybody's mouth about them. Yeah, I think that, you know, for this White Sox team, they underachieved big time and they were truly the definition of a 500 ball club. And I think a lot of that can be attested to who was at the helm and who are the players he's trying to manage. Now, I think, the name to look for, and I don't know if he makes the opening day roster or not. He hasn't really played a ton this spring, but I think he eventually does work his way into the second base position in either a platoon or maybe even potentially full-time gig by the end of the season, and that is Brian Ramos. He is a very, very young kid. He is just 20. He's he's actually turning 21 in just two days after we drop this episode here. So, you know, Ramos is a young kid, but I think that's the way the league is moving. They're trying to bring these guys up at a younger age. And I think, you know, Brian Ramos is a guy that could slot into this lineup and sure up the second base spot. I was a little surprised to see the White Sox bring in Ben Benintendi, but I mean, I don't really think this lineup is as taped together uh, in some spots. The outfield is as good as any. And, you know, Ben Benintendi gets the slot over and play left field. You've got uh, Luis Robert, who is unbelievable in center field. Eloy Jimenez in right field with an, a cannon of an arm. I mean, this is a really, really good team, and there isn't much reason why they should have underachieved last year. You said you like the rotation. I love the rotation. And, you know, they also have something to play for a bit this year. Liam Hendricks. He's a guy that this team is fighting for, and they are definitely, I think, going to rise up and play for him. Now, the bullpen is loaded with arms. They have tons of talent in the starting rotation. I mean, how can you argue with the names that they have at the top of it? Between Giolito, Dylan Cease might be the most underrated guy just because I think he might be the best pitcher in baseball and he is not talked about as the best. The guy can just be flat out unhittable at times. Clevenger's solid, although, I mean, 
Well, does he have some stuff going on? We'll see. Um, And Giolito, Giolito is Giolito. He is a top-of-the-line rotation guy. He is an ace. Michael Kopech, can he finally take the step and grow into a full-time starter? You know, I'm past the point of expecting him to be an ace, but, you know, can Michael Kopech go out there and be a four- or five-starter for them? Because that's what they need when you have Cease, Giolito, and Lynn at the top end of the rotation. Yeah, I'm excited to see. You mentioned Eloy Jimenez, Ben. He's somebody who he's going to get extended DHing time this year because that's a bat you cannot have out of the lineup. He might be the best hitter on that team. Luis Robert, probably right behind him. But they're just a team that I just don't know what to make of them, and I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome any of the issues and adversity that plagued them last year especially when you see that they're not going to get to beat up on their own division much anymore with the change in the schedule where you play every team. But another team that is uh, on the up and up, you got the uh, Kansas City Royals, and they have one of the bright young stars in Major League Baseball and Bobby Wood Jr. on that roster. They have some real players coming up, and I think think they're a team that might take that jump. Their rotation – a little suspect, you have the ancient man, Zach Grinke, who seems like he's been in the league for 30 years, Jordan Lyles, Brady Singer, Ryan Yarbrough, Brad Keller, plus their lineup, you got Salvi, Salvador Perez, just possibly the best catcher in baseball, just offensively, defensively, it doesn't get much better than him. Then first base, you got Vinny Pasquantino, second base, Michael Massey, Shortstop, the aforementioned Bobby Witt Jr. Third base, Hunter Dozier. Left field, Edward Olivares. Center field, Kyle Isbell. Right field, Nick Eaton. Ben, do you think they can make a significant jump from being a 65-win team? Can they get into the mid-70s? Can they win an extra 10 games? I don't think it's asking too much uh to ask this team to win 10 more games especially because you have to expect Bobby Witt Jr to continue developing and growing right you have to assume this guy's going to continue to grow um you know they have some talented guys here uh in the rotation i like Ryan Yarbrough i think he's uh an under the radar middle of the rotation guy um i like some of the moves that they made i think Amir Garrett will be strong in the back end of the bullpen. I think Aroldis Chapman, although may he's not what he was, obviously, he's someone who can maybe find some success as a lefty specialist in Kansas City. They might use try to use him as a closer. I don't know. They also have Scott Barlow, who is uh, like Josh Hader's clone. Um you know they they have some some talented players. Uh, Zach Greinke, I don't understand how or why he's still pitching and in the league, but that just really says what the expectation is for Kansas City because they're still rolling with Zach Greinke because they still say, you know what, Greinke, go out there and pitch. Is this team? capable of winning 10 more games than they did last year you have to say obviously because no team is in reality that bad right you have to hope so I would like to think Kansas City can win 10 more games but at the same time I expect the Guardians the Twins and the White Sox to be better than them still so winning games may not be as easy for them because they don't get that excuse of playing in a bad division when you're the worst team in the division yeah, and then they got a guy, MJ Melendez. He's coming up. He's going to get uh, significant playing time. He's somebody, I think, paired with Bobby Wood Jr. is going to spell a bright future for the Royals. But it's time to give our overall thoughts on the AL Central and how we think this is going to shake out. Now, Ben, the way we're going to do this is I'm going to give you mine. I'm going to give you how I rank the teams. I'm going to give you my standings prediction. Followed by, I'm going to give you what the the Pakoda predictions are for the AL Central. You tell me what you think and how you would have them ranked. Sound good? You got it, Cor. All right. I think the Guardians are going to win the division. I'm giving them a record of 89-73. Pakoda has them at about 87-74. and Plus or minus one win on each side with the uh, the variables and the, you know, the decimal aspects of that so what do you think about the uh the indians uh the guardians i should say 
Hey, don't worry. I've done that. I I've caught myself a couple times, almost uh, dropping uh, the Indians, but you know, I think that's on par with what I expect. I expect them to be a high eighties team. So I would actually say push on the win total there. I think the win total will be right around where Pakota has them. I think, I don't think they win the division though. I think this is a team that'll be a wild card. I think maybe they end up in that sixth and final wild card spot. And for, you know, this team, I think they're right around where they were last year. I don't think these offensive players are going to get much better. I think the improvement will come from guys like Tristan McKenzie. I think he makes a bit of a jump. Shane Bieber, Shane Bieber, the back end of the rotation uh, in their th- in terms of their three, four, and five, if they stay healthy, I think all three of those guys are capable of winning 10 games. And just between the three of them, I think that'll be enough to, uh, along with the pairing of Bieber and McKenzie at the top, to get this team back into the postseason. Well said. I do think they are a postseason team, obviously winning the division. But I have the Twins coming in second place in the division. But I have them kind of falling off from last season. I have them at 83 and 79. I don't think it's going to come down to being very competitive, although I think it'll be a rock fight throughout most of the season going into September. I just think Cleveland comes away with it. Pakoda has them at about 70, 87 and a half and 74 and a half win loss. I'm a little less uh, high on them, but I'm sure you're a little higher than I am, right? No, no, I am not. And wow. the reason for that, the reason for that is because I think there are too many other good teams in the American league. And I think it is important to look at the fact that I think four of the teams in the American League East are better than the Twins, with the exception of Boston. I think that three of the teams in the American League West are better than the Twins. So, you know, you have to really think about where are the Twins going to get their wins. I don't think Buxton is going to be able to stay healthy, and I think that's going to be the biggest issue for this team is they're not going to be able to find hits and runs anywhere. Their pitching isn't going to be good enough to just carry them the way that they're going to need them to. I think losing Arias is a huge hit. I actually have them closer to the 77 to 79 win range. Wow, below 500? Although I, I do think that we both are of the same mind in our reasoning behind giving them each uh, record prediction as it is. Chicago White Sox is, for me, the third team in that division. I have them at about 80 and 82, just below 500. I, ju- I just don't know what to make of them. I And I think they have too many internal issues to really overcome. Also, Pakoda has them at about 79 and 83 on that record standpoint, so not really expecting them to have that great of a season. Yeah, I'm actually really high on the White Sox. I think this team is really good. I know they've had their internal issues, but I think, you know, they might be able to get that squared away. I think that the talent is too hard to argue with. And I think that's that I don't understand why teams are are sleeping on the White Sox. I don't understand why the media and why Pakoda has them rated so low. I mean, just in terms of pure talent standpoint they've got to be in the top four or five in the american league alone and i mean when you consider that three of those teams are in the american league east that's that's really it's impressive i mean outside of the american league east in houston i don't see a team better than the white Sox, and arguably they could be better than all of those teams. This team has the potential and the capability of doing it. I think they're finally going to put something together this year. And the pitching is too good to deny and ignore. If those guys stay healthy, if you have Giolito, Cease, and Lynn healthy for most of the season, it's unrealistic to expect all three to stay healthy the entire year. But if you can get 20 to 25 starts from all three of those guys, there's no reason why they shouldn't win. 85% of those 75 starts from those three guys. I think that's how good those guys are. And with their lineup, why not? Why are, why would those, this team be that bad? I think the White Sox can crack 90 wins this year. And that would not surprise me by any means. I have them winning the division. Good luck with that, Ben. I'm not sure uh, I agree, but that's, what's fun about it. It's 162 games. 
anything could happen. White Sox could get hot and just carry themselves to a postseason berth. I think they're going to struggle to get to 500. Another team, though, that's going to not get to 500, but I have them fourth in their division. I think the Kansas City Royals take a jump. They get to 73 and 89 in my book. I think that they're going to to look pretty good. think that they're going to have some interesting uh, games where they're going to go on a couple runs. They're going to be pesky. They're going to maybe even beat a couple of the better teams like the Yankees and Astros. And I think just that combo of Bobby Witt Jr. and uh, MJ Melendez, we're going to start seeing the next great you know team duo. They're going to sell a lot of jerseys there of those two guys in Kansas City. Pakota, though, not as high as I am on them. 64-98 is their win projection. Ben, do you, are you with me that they're going to take a step forward? Or do they actually take a step back this year like Pakota suggests? Uh, I don't think they take a step back, but I also don't think they're going to take that much of a jump forward. I think the most wins I see them with is 70. Um, so a little bit less than yours there. Uh, I don't think they're quite that bad at 63. I mean, the bottom line is this is going to be a sub 500 team. And again, the biggest reason for that is because of how good the rest of the American League is. And they're going to have fewer division games. That means they're going to play a tougher schedule this year. That definitely has an impact. You're going to be seeing teams that they have some of these players haven't seen ever with the way the schedule has been, especially with the pandemic, you know, the American league central is actually going to get to see the national league East this year. So, you know, you're going to have to play the likes of the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, uh, you know, the Marlins are in a cakewalk um, and, you know, the nationals, yeah, they're rebuilding, but you know, for a Royals team, the, these, these are tougher games that you're going to see. These are, it's tougher competition. And the bottom line is you still have 14 games against that really difficult White Sox team, the really, really, really tough Cleveland guardians pitching rotation and the twins who are expecting to be better as well. So it's an uphill climb just for them to try and hit 70 wins and, and improve right when you have a tougher schedule and you didn't really bring in that many pieces that make your team that much better really you're just banking on the development of wit and melendez and while that's fine you gotta see it before i can really put it to paper so i definitely would lean more towards pakoda than towards you here although i see them reaching like 67 to 70 wins that range yeah, I, I just think that I think that taking that next step is just really important to that squad. And honestly, for Salvi, I think that they need to because he's wasting his career, the back end of his career there now. I know they've won that World Series, but it re- it's really been downhill since. Now, obviously, last place for me, the Detroit Tigers. I got them 67 and 95, just an abysmal season upcoming for them. Pakoda's right there with me, 65 and 97. I just think Detroit's going to be terrible and they have no future to look forward to nobody to trade away. Nobody waiting in the wings. It's going to be a long decade of darkness for them. Yeah. And I think unless Miguel Cabrera says, I want to finish my career, Detroit tiger. I think we see an Albert Pujols type season from him and he potentially does get traded at the deadline this year and becomes a, a DH who can, hit against one pitcher i i don't know which side that would be or maybe he does just come in and pinch it every now and then doesn't even run the bases anymore like he could be that kind of guy for a team that you know is hungry for a bat at the trade deadline if if cabrera is having a good season and he does tell detroit hey i would like to be i would like to go and try to win um, especially just because he hasn't gotten to win. And I know he's probably very thankful for Detroit for taking that chance on him and bringing him in from Miami. And he had all those great years there, but you're right. This Detroit team is just not good. They have, uh, as you were saying, the injuries to Mize and Scoble, uh, is just a tough blow. It really is just there's a lot going against them. And, you know, when your best player is Javi Baez and he's a guy who can't really stay healthy anymore either, it's a problem. And we're just going to, it's another situation. I think like the Royals, I think the Royals future does look a little bit brighter. And I think the Royals have a little bit more talent as well. 
you know, I think Pakoda hits it on the head. I think Detroit actually has a chance to be the worst team in baseball this year. I think they will have the worst record in baseball. But that's been an episode here of the Outsiders Sports Baseball Podcast covering the AL Central. We'll be back at it again with our baseball standings breakdown. And we're really well on the way to opening day. Thanks for tuning in and keep it locked here for our future episodes.